Uh, welcome, everybody. This is, I think, episode six of Tom and Dave. We Our counting is not great as far as episode numbers, but uh, we have our first guest in program history today. Uh, I want to welcome Giancarlo Navas from the Heat Beat to the Tom and Dave show. Uh, thank you for taking the time to do this with us today, Giancarlo. How are you? I'm doing great. Listen, I'm excited to be the first guest. This is this is fun. I love that. Um, our first listen, and you're having a guest in episode six. We did Heat Beat for four years before we had a guest. Wow. So we we I've told you I told you pre-show we were just scared to ask people. Yeah. <laughs> it's good that you got to put yourself out there. I'm really excited. Thanks, man. Um, so I guess I mean we just wanted to get right into it. Uh let's talk Max Struess for the people. How real should he be to me <laughs> as someone who is not a Heat fan? Okay, so I I love the story of Max Struess as a story of two games, right? So the first game that they played in the preseason against Pelicans, Max Struess looked like the goofiest dude on the court. He was running around all over the place. He was shooting awkwardly. He was not uh, shy at all. Uh, our uh, we have a, a writer for Miami Heat, but also writes for Basketball News, Nikias Duncan at Nikias NBA. Probably one of the smartest people, probably one of the five smartest people writing about basketball today, along with Chris Terry and Zach Lowe. Uh, Nikias called him at halftime, maybe the worst basketball player he had ever seen. Um, and uh, since then, he's been on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I don't even know what else to call it. I mean, the dude is going crazy, shooting off the dribble, shooting off the catch, always relocating. He's like, uh, he's like German Duncan Robinson. So. I warn people about a good preseason game because it's not even like a good preseason, right? It's like a good game of preseason. Same with Casey Akpala. But, but you know, and, and I said this today, like, he fans will remember preseason Rodney Magruder and preseason Gerald Green, our first ballot Hall of Fame players. So let's not take too much into preseason. What I can say about Struess is that if they are gutted for a trade for a particular superstar who will not be named, uh, you know, you kind of hope that they're set up so that they have, you know, assets to replenish, you know, if they send out five rotation players, you know, they're going to need a dude to, to run around and shoot. And, uh, they might, they might've had that. Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, the thing that impressed me the most with Struess in the second game, even if the, you know, shooting doesn't hold up as we go into the regular season, he wasn't really afraid. He was, um, I think, for the most part in the second game, running the right routes, always in the right position, making the best of his opportunities. And I think for like a guy on a two-way contract, that's really the best to really expect from him. Um, and yeah, I was, I was, I was happy to see that because I, I really didn't know that much about him. I know that the training camp, the I mean, in training camp, Spo and them were talking. His name was coming up a lot as someone who was really impressing them. And uh, yeah, I think I, all of us were just a little surprised to see him like one of the be one of the first bench guys in the first game um, before so, so many other like exhibit 10 and two way guys. So he's interesting in the sense of like Eric's post teams, especially post LeBron, I think especially post LeBron, he, he, he has a shift, right? So they ran a lot of stationary pick and roll with guards screening for bigs that was kind of like the big three thing and that's kind of was the fulcrum of, of eric's offense and a lot of elbow stuff with chris bosh that we see now with bam and we see the guard screen for bigs and everything the big thing now is what i call eric's poster's revolving door of handoffs where they just have a bunch of ball screeners and dribble handoffs and guys moving all over the place now we saw that with wayne ellington a couple of years ago and wayne had at the time the best shooting season in miami history he was launching like nine threes a game and shooting like damn near 42 percent or something it was something ridiculous and i remember i don't know if it was forbes 
Rivers or who did a story on like his percentage on contested threes was like an astronomically historical rate. Cause he's just like, Eric just had to move it and dive in and move it all over the place. Now we see the second coming of that with Duncan and a lot better. You know, Duncan is a lot taller uh, as just a quicker release as Wayne. And he's just a nonstop mover, which I will always say uh, David Thorpe, coach Thorpe, who, uh, who does a lot in the NBA and, and, and does a lot of developmental coaching says that, you know, we used to teach players to run routes like JJ Redick. And now we're like, whoa, we're going to teach Duncan Robinson routes and how he controls his body. So like already one year in the league, he's changing everything. So we look at, we kind of fast forward to Strews, perfect mold of what Eric Spolstra like shooters should be always moving, always relocating, screening, sprinting hard, cutting back, you know, coming out of pistol, screening for pistol, right? All that like fun stuff that Spo teams love to do. And when a guy like that is coming off the handoff, when it's Bammer, if it's precious now, you know, triggering, and you have a guy who's a good passer and a good role guy, you're creating a ton of space with that movement, like artificially, right? They, they create artificial space. So I like what, I, I see what they see in him as a guy who can shoot off the movement. I think that more than anything, it's just like that kind of mold of player. And that's not going to be the last one we see. They're, they love those guys. Sure. So would you say he's the, of that like young crop of players that he got this year, would he be the one that impressed you the most in that two, that two game preseason run? Obviously it's a limited sample size, but. Um, that's an interesting question. Cause like when I look at the heat, I think, okay, well, you know, out goes Jay Crowder, right. Who was obviously huge for them. Not like Jay Crowder is like, you know, this irreplaceable fulcrum of your offense and defense. Right. But like Jay Crowder was very uniquely what they needed. A guy who can play small ball four and can guard up. Right. So like when they bring in Mo Harkless, who shaky jump shot, just like Jay, although Jay shot the lights out here. Uh, Harkless has a shaky jump shot, is a bit quicker than Jay Crowder. So I think in theory, Miami is not a really good team at defending threes, and they didn't really limit a lot of threes. Part of that was just like, you know, Duncan Robinson's closing out, right? That that last help guy or whatever. It's Jay Crowder who's not really quick, right? Whatever. Now you have a guy like Bo Harkless, who I think in theory is a little quicker, can kind of close out on guys faster, but can't guard up, right? So when they're going to play the Giannis's, the Kevin Durant's, those kind of big wings – they don't have a guy like Jay Crowder that is strong and can kind of hold ground. So to me, going into the season, that's like the thing I'm looking at is like, okay, well, where, how can they not get exploited at that four spot, right? So Casey Ogpala, in theory, fixes their issues, right? It's a big dude, really long, athletic, quick, strong. Um, and given what we saw in the preseason, you know, won't hurt your offense. Uh, which yeah. is a big thing here, right? Because like you know, you can you can find a dude like Rondé Hollis Jefferson, you know, to play some four minutes and to defend, right? But I mean, what is Rondé doing for you in offense, right? So you gotta have that that kind of push pull there. So in terms of what they need, I think for sure it's what KZ gave them. And like I was getting made fun of in some NBA group chats. Um, you know, I was getting made fun of by the blue check marks saying, What are you talking about? About this KZ Akpala who was really off on the G League last year. You know, Mo Harkless is a rotation player for many years on good playoff teams. I know that. I saw it, but Mo Harkless looks slow as hell. And I'm a big Mo Harkless fan. But I think their high end is gonna depend on what KZ can bring them. Um Miami has like this weird situation where they just have a lot of players who are really like adequate. Right. So like I I have this 11 man rotation in my head that I think is going to make it tough for like other people to kind of break in. You have Tyler Goron, Duncan, Avery Bradley, Jimmy Butler, Andre Iguodala, Harkless, KZ, Bam, Precious, and Kelly Olenek. That's 11. Mm -hmm. 
Then you have yeah. Nunn, Struess, and Myers Leonard on the outside. Um, and then you have that kind of the Udonis Haslam, Chris Silva, Gabe Vincent, right? Kind of other guys that fill out your team. Um, I think of those three guys, I think none is the most likely to get minutes mm-hmm. because, you know, Goran's probably going to rest. Um, the guard situation, you know, you, you never know if Tyler gets hurt, who was hurt last year. So I, I think none is a guy that could see. Struce, I don't know how much playing time he'll get this season if there's no trade and they kind of hold still. Uh, so like to me, I, I don't know, like I, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but like for me, that's that's kind of where I'm at with their rotation. No, I mean, I think Dave could probably speak to it better than I could, but that seems like a perfectly logical way for it to work out. I mean, the nice thing with Myers Leonard is even if you're not playing him, he's going to be an all-time bench flexer. Uh, <laughs> Dave and I talked about this a lot last playoffs. He was he was animated on the sidelines. Always on the bike. Led the, league, <laughs> led, the, led the league in being on the bike. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the guy I am, like, most curious about right now, besides, like, the young guys who I'm really excited about and, like, the guys I expect to be good, is definitely none. Because if none can return to the level of, like, you know, pick-and-roll creation that he was doing at the beginning of last year when he was still shooting efficiently and everything and, like, could hit those nice, like, mid-range shots... I think that would be so huge for our bench scoring. But even in the preseason, I feel like his shot looked the same as it did in the bubble where it was something really flat about it. A lot of them were coming off short. Um, Just kind of looks like he's lost a bit of athleticism and like quickness just from a year ago. Um, And I know he went through a lot, um, so it's understandable. But, you know, a, a return to good Kendrick Nunn, I think, you know, raises the floor of the heat a little bit, especially on their bench side. Um, Just because, you know, with the guards off the bench, like I don't think we're counting on Bradley to be a great scorer off the bench or anything. Um, We obviously have Goron. Um, I do worry about he's getting older. He played some of the best basketball of his life just a couple months ago, but then got that bad injury. Um, I do worry a little bit about his age finally catching up to him a little bit. but yeah, I think that rotation makes sense. I really, um, I mean, I think we all are excited about Precious after that second game. Um, but I, I am curious what kind of where he fits. Um, I know there's kind of a natural spot in that backup four, backup five section um, where he can uh, play a lot of minutes. But I feel like I still don't even under, completely understand what he's good at. Um, so I think that's sort of my main question with him. So, like, for me, you know, you kind of saw a little bit in preseason. Offensively, he's a five, right? They have him screening. They have him diving um, and cutting. Uh, Defensively, he's more of a four. He's a 6'9 guy who has a 7'1 wingspan, not dissimilar to Bam. Um, Is very NBA-ready in terms of athleticism and body and strength. Like, he looks like he's going to contribute right from the jump. What I thought was interesting, so like kind of before we saw him play in preseason, I was wondering if, you know, do the Heat see him as like a Jeremy Grant type of kind of defender player, you know, kind of do a little bit off the dribble eventually he can kind of, you know, his jump shot's not bad looking, um, but really from the jump, they're like, no, you're going to play center. You're going to screen. You're going to dive. You're going to, you're going to offensive rebound. You're going to crash the glass. Uh, they use him as Bam and handoff suit. I mean, the same kinds of stuff. He catches the ball at the top of the key, take two dribbles, and then trigger from the other side, right, where, where a shooter, either Tyler or Duncan, comes off to kind of t- take that handoff and then run action. So 
they're using him like bam. Like, they're like, okay, you're gonna screen, you do all that stuff. Uh, defensively, he can do both. I think I thought what was interesting was Eric was playing kind of some Kelly plus Precious yeah. and Kelly plus Bam again. So like last season, I think they played Bam and Kelly played like 400 minutes or something very small. Like it was like negligible sample. Um, when the year prior to that, they played a lot of like too big kind of Kelly Bam. So that tells me a couple of things. One, Myers is probably on the outside looking in. Two, they might want to go two bigs in terms of Precious and KO or KO and Bam for a lot of stretch, then have KO be the five defensively. And then you have Precious kind of off ball roaming and helping mm-hmm. as opposed to him being the drop man. Um, they, they did a lot of drop scheme uh, in the preseason. I don't know how much to take from that. I, I, that's another big question of mine. Like in the playoffs, they really switched to uh, no pun intended. They really switched to doing a lot of switching mm-hmm. and everything off ball stuff, everything, right. Everything's a switch. Now they're like dropping again, which I think is probably better for the grind of the regular season. I imagine late in games or like against probably tested against certain matchups, you know, how, how, how they feel precious switching on to, to, to quicker guards or whatever. But um, I think that that's going to be precious's role, kind of a four defensively, uh, sometimes five defensively, depending on the matchup, and then a five on offense. I don't until he has a reliable, at least minimum corner three. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't really see them kind of using him more than that on offense. Yeah, uh, it kind of seemed like that, especially with the way he was getting his points. I felt like we're almost always on rolls or just some cut. Like it was always like in a flow of the offense way that didn't really look like he had much. Um, uh, ways to create for himself. Although we did see him hit that one like nice kind of off balance jumper, um, which makes me optimistic that he has more in his bag. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I noticed those the, those handoffs and everything. And I think the the you know a big weakness I remember from last playoffs that I think a lot of Heat fans were kind of frustrated about is once Bam's out, like who's getting a rebound, who's like boxing people out in the paint because, you know, Kelly isn't a great presence down there. Um, Myers isn't a great presence down there. And I think Precious has already shown some, uh, like shown to be a big upgrade in that regard already. Like, I feel like the rebounding stuff is so overstated with Mm -hmm. last year's group. It was never an issue until your damn starting center got hurt, who's going to eat up almost 40 minutes in those big games, right? It's not like Bam's playing 30 minutes. It's not like, you know, you got to preserve him. It's not like he's like Joel Embiid that he's going to get tired and you got to be careful. No, I mean, like they were out rebounded every game, but it wasn't by a ton. I mean, in game three where they won, they were only out rebounded by six, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is not bad. And I don't even think the Lakers – you know, killed them on the defensive class. It was 32 to 34. Miami out defensive rebounded them, right? It was just a couple of those. And a lot of those were off threes, right? And I think that we do the math differently. Those long rebounds on threes are kind of random, True. right? So that, that kind of like four rebound difference negligible. They corrected a, that, that game one and game two was startling. Mm-hmm. And I think they were still trying to adjust and they were playing Andre Goudal at the four. Come on. <laughs> Sometimes the five, like they were riding with the Andre and Jay Crowder front court. So yeah, duh, you're going to get killed on the glass. Like, you know, but when Bam is your center, 
And then either Precious or Kelly is like playing those those kind of backup minutes. You don't patch enough rebounding together. Yeah. And also another thing, Jimmy's a really good rebounder. Yeah. And you know, Jimmy doing all that stuff on offense, you know, obviously his rebounding was there because he was getting the triple doubles, uh, but kind of that petered out by the end because like that dude was just had nothing left in his leg. So yeah. you have to also remember in a world where Jimmy doesn't have to do literally every single thing on a basketball court, that's not gonna be too much of an issue. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I'm I'm not as concerned about the rebounding stuff. I do like that they have uh, another guy to throw as a wing defender, especially yeah. with Jake Crowder gone. I think that if if you can if he can develop a corner three by the end of the year, at least a 33% corner three point shot. So he can reliably play with Bam and Jimmy because you just can't have three guys that can't shoot on the court. It's just it's just too much for your spacing. Uh, yeah. and they can throw out lineups of like Jimmy, Bam, Precious um plus duncan plus other shooter whether that be tyler or they want to go more defense Avery bradley I, I really like your chances against like the nets you know especially with kd and all that and Giannis and kind of kind of recreating that stuff yeah well, that's a great point um that's that actually is a good lead up into the next question we wanted to talk about and that's which team in the east do you think is heat's toughest matchup this year Ooh. um I mean, it. so I have to, well, I mean, the Nets are kind of an unknown quantity, right? So it's hard for me to say how the Nets are going to match up with Miami because I guess in theory, you know, we don't really even know the system of offense they're going to play. It's Nash's first year as a head coach. I know D'Antoni's there as an advisor, but um, I imagine, you know, Durant teams are tend to be, you know, isolation heavy and, you know, he's really good at it. <laughs> There's not much they're going to be able to do, um, especially with a guy like Harkless, who I just don't think is going to be able to guard him at all. He's like not even like at least Jay, you trust him to push him off his spot and kind of, you know, rough him up a little bit. But Harkless is just, that's just not a good matchup. You kind of hope KZ is going to be ready for that. Um, You know, that's, that's a matchup where Bam might have to guard him a lot and you just kind of let, you know, uh, whatever big man they have, you know, do whether that be DeAndre or, um, or Jared Allen, right. You just kind of, kind of hide maybe Mo Harkless or, you know, whatever power forward you have in that matchup, but that's, that's tough for Bam too, right? Cause you now, you know, you have Bam full time on Kevin Durant. So, you know, you don't want that either. And then there's obviously their Miami's biggest, biggest issue last year was kind of quick guards. Mm. They corrected a lot of that in the playoffs against Boston, right? You, I was scared of Kemba Walker, Kemba Walker terrified me. Miami, you know, he would kill their drop scheme like hell, right? And anybody who could shoot off that pull up, is going to eviscerate, right? Because like Kendrick Nunn and Goran are just like, they die on picks. So they're going to be late every time. And then Bam has to choose between the basket and stepping up. And then that's just not a favorable position. So a guy who can come off that screen, pull up from three, it's just really tough for your offense. They managed to contain that by switching and sending a lot of help. And they're like, Marcus Smart is going to shoot a lot of threes and we're going to be okay with that. Uh, the Nets, that might not be so easy because if they run Kyrie and Durant pick and roll, now you have two guys who are weaknesses for you right now at the four and at the one defensively. And I don't think you want to play a lot of Avery Bradley in the playoffs. So that's a matchup that worries me, but I have to see more about it. Yeah. I think theoretically, their two best players kind of attack what they're not good at. Uh, I don't like that Boston matchup still. I know that Miami won last, last, but it's just it's it's just it's hard to score and if bam doesn't take the leap as a score that i hope he does that becomes a lot tougher and i think you saw when bam took initiative not just as a role man but as a guy to kind of create off the step it it changed their offense a lot um i'm not really that scared of the books i'm not, I'm not gonna lie 
Um, I think the Raptors are kind of a pain in their ass because the Raptors are very unique that they can switch their favorite pet plays, right? So that Duncan, bam, dribble handoff. You know, last season they were, they were switching that with OG Ananobi kind of making Duncan's life a living hell, uh, which was just not very fun that you saw in that bubble game. So those are kind of the – I mean, but Toronto's not – going to really be a contender next season unless they kind of make a trade for somebody i think that they're going to be in that kind of four five six range right and i don't i think they'll be a pain you know but i think miami will be able to limit their half court offense enough to not be an issue so it's it's like the nets the celtics right those are the kind of things i worry about uh and the bucks listen until mike budenholzer proves to me that he can make significant adjustments in the playoffs uh i'm not scared I'm just, I'm not scared of Lopez drop 10 feet in the paint. I'm just not. I don't blame you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> They're great. They're great. He's a good coach. I'm just, yeah. Miami eviscerated them on offense, like eviscerated them, yeah. shredded them. And Miami was like a good offensive team, but like not that good. Not that good. <laughs> um, so actually, I mean, the four position has come up a lot as we've been on this call. Um, we talked about the rebounding concern, overblown rebounding concerns. Um, if it isn't either, you know, those backup four minutes or the rebounding, what's the thing you kind of look at on this heat team and makes you sweat a bit? Like what's the, what is the thing you could see being the undoing for Miami? If anything, if anything's going to present that kind of problem. I still think I have questions about their guards being able to contain. Right. So, you know, other than the four, like can Tyler and Dragic, uh, and, and Duncan really stay in front of guys, right? And I know Duncan's not really defending a lot of guards. Uh, they usually kind of have Jimmy do that assignment if they're sharing the court together. But, I mean, in, in general, like, their point guards, can they stay in front of people, right? Like, Trey Young absolutely lit them up. And Trey Young's going to light up everybody. And that was a game that they really brought out the BAM switch. That was one of the first games that they're like, okay, BAM, please fix this. Uh, and then Trey was pulling up from the logo, and then BAM just kind of throws his hands up. Like, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? Like, how much can you I know? switch at the point? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, you switch, and what are you going to do? You can't press up on the guy at, at the logo, right? He's fast. <laughs> so I have questions about their guards, and I have questions if they're going to be able to defend. You know, I think it's unfortunate that Kemba has, has the knee problems, and we don't know his health situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a huge blow to the Celtics, especially any matchup with the Heat. Um, Drew Holiday is not like a really speedy guard, but I mean, he is a, you know, a a very good pick and roll creator. So I I worry about his size in that kind of bothering Tyler and Goron and and, and none and all that, even Avery Bradley to an extent, which is why I think that they were so adamant on bringing him in because he was like, what, the second signing or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, That was an issue. Their point of attack defense was an issue and they never corrected that. And they made the finals in spite of that. Just one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in my life. They just completely made their biggest weakness not exist. It's crazy. Um, and I can't even say it was matchup stuff because, I mean, like, the damn Celtics were the team I was scared of for that reason. Uh, the Raptors would have been an issue, too, with Kyle and, and Fred. But they're not so much speed as they are kind of strength and craft. So I think they yeah. would have managed a little better. But still, I mean, that's the thing I look at. And they haven't really told me how they fix that. It's like... And I, by the way, I'm really high on this team. It sounds like I'm like picking them apart. I really think that they're like at minimum Eastern Conference Finals or bust. Like I think they're that good. Uh, I just think you know, every team's gonna have their weaknesses, and and I just think these Miami's are are very clearly laid out. You know, I think their young guys are kind of like vetish, right? Like you you know what you're yeah. gonna get from the, their young guys, and then like kind of the new guys, you're kind of you kind of you kind of know what you're gonna get from everybody, uh, which is good and bad in this case. So those are the things I'm most concerned with. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, definitely concerned about those two. Um, that also kind of ties in to um, this thing that Tom and I have been doing in our season previews where we keep talking about um, like how many guys do we like trust on all these teams. And, you know, obviously it's kind of like an intangible thing to talk about um, and to quantify in any way. But I feel like it can be like a nice barometer of how good you think a team might be by just, you know, thinking about who, who are we trusting in the, like in a playoff rotation, playoff eight man rotation or nine man rotation. And yeah, I guess I just want to propose that to you on the heat. Like where, at what point in the rotation does it kind of fall off a little bit and you, you get a little bit worried. So they have guys like it. And, and like, I think every kind of heat analyst will give you a different answer on this. Cause like, for example, I was somebody that trusted Olenek. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I thought he played well in the finals. And clearly a lot of people did it. And Eric's poster just kind of hooked him after a certain point, even though I thought he was playing well. So yeah, no, I agree um, with you. I think Kelly offers a lot on offense. If he's in the right situation, like he can, I mean, he scored what, like 20 points in a finals game. Like that was huge. Good. Yeah. He's cutting, he's slipping, yeah. he's faking, he's flaring. He's doing all this weird, dumb movement with this little Kelly keeper thing. Like he's a bunch of nonsense. He's like nonsense to player. It's just nonsense. None of it should work. And it all just kind of works. Uh, I love it. So kind of looking at their guys that I think, you know, you trust and the coaching staff's trust. You have Tyler and Goron. Those guys are trusted. Duncan's trusted. Jimmy's trusted. Andre's trusted for better or for worse. Bam is trusted, right? So you have those guys. Uh, that leaves you with, you know, the other of the other 11. You know, you have Precious, Olenek, Harkless, uh, and um, – and Avery Bradley, right? We don't know how coach staff's going to, and, and KZ. We don't know how they're going to feel about that. And then you have Nunn, Struss, and Myers, who I don't think any of those have earned Eric Fulcher's trust. So, you know, I don't know what your five-man rotation is in a big game, right? Because I think mm-hmm. that four spot's the biggest question. I think you know that Tyler's on the floor. I think you know that Jimmy's on the floor. And I think you know that Bam's on the floor. I, th- I used to think that Duncan was going to always be on the floor, but Duncan didn't close a lot of games last season in the playoffs yeah. against the Celtics. He didn't close a lot of games and against the Bucks, he didn't close a lot of games. They went Jay Crowder and sometimes Andre or whatever. And then, and kind of by committee, um, they have three guys now that I think, you know, are going to be on the floor, maybe Dragic, right? So you go Dragic, Tyler, Jimmy, bam, plus whoever's the four. Uh, but we don't know that question yet. And then two of those guys are minus defenders. That's the other part of this that we have to also remember. So they, and you know, stunned that they survived switching, but uh, well, I mean, every time they switch, it would just send a bunch of help Goron's way. Like, help Goron, Goron <laughs> Island. So that they have one position that's a huge question mark. I think the rest is going to be similar to last season because um, I used to be J, and then that was it. Like, okay, this is what we're writing with these guys, these five, and then Goron mm-hmm. might be sub for Duncan or whatever, depending on the match. Yeah, um, I think um, going into this preseason and this season. I was definitely worried about losing Jay in that sense of we did kind of have a more concrete understanding of who was going to close those games. Um, But I think it's okay that, um, I I mean, Spo I think is good at kind of using a lot of the regular season to kind of experiment with different things um, and like kind of figuring out what is going to end up working. I feel like a lot of heat seasons, post LeBron heat seasons, especially are kind of like, you know, it takes a little while to figure out the groove. Um, and then tinkering. He f- the yeah. tinker. 
yeah, he tinkers a lot. And um, I think this team will have a lot of tinkering, um, especially because of how many of these new young guys, I think, are kind of unknown commodities, and we're not sure how much they're going to play. Um, but, you know, a guy like KZ, for example, is just really intriguing because they, I mean, they obviously have a lot of trust in him already. They, um, you know, I, I like this new thing that I think, you know, some franchise are doing. Definitely the Heat, the Raptors are kind of doing where they have this one, like these prospects that they really like, they think they have a lot of potential, but they know they're not making the rotation this year. And they do actually use the G League as like a good, like de de real de de developmental year for them. And all these guys always look better. Duncan looks so much better after doing that. KZ looks better in these two preseason games than he did in the few games he played last year. Um, and I think if you Go add... back to Hassan, Tyler Johnson. Oh, like oh they, yeah. They've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Um, so I... Uh, yeah, I um, kind of lost my train of thought there, but I think... No, it, the, the G League is so helpful for them in yeah. a lot of ways, and them and Toronto have been kind of... The Spurs, too, have been really, really good with that. They've mm -hmm. just been... They've been knocking it out of the park. Oh, yeah. So, so I guess... They... Uh, no, no, no. One other question we had. Um, I think we don't have too much more on uh, on our list, but uh, where do you... like? Where do you think they finish in the East, at least regular season-wise this year? I know you've said Eastern Conference Finals or bust for this team. Uh, if you were to make a regular season pick, what would you say it would be? I've said anywhere between third and fourth. I don't think they drop below fourth. I think it's third. I, I see people having them at second. I just don't see them as like this great regular season team. I just, yeah. it's just, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a lot of weird matchups. Like, I think, for example, Washington is going to be a pain in their ass. I think, like, Washington is going to, like, maybe win three or four games, and it's like people are going to be freaked out. And it's just like, I don't know. It, that's just like, that. this is the kind of shit that's going to happen to them. And then the Hawks are going to be like a really, I'm sorry, Chris, I don't know if I was allowed to or not. Hawks are going to be a pain in their I never know. I, I never ask. And, like, I'm always I'm always proud of myself when I don't curse on radio because I was like, okay, <laughs> I keep it, like, in my mind when I'm on pods, you know. Um, I think third is, like, a fair place for them to finish. I think. Milwaukee won. I had Boston at two, and everyone yelled at me because of Kemba's health. Um, I think the Nets could be third, could be second. That depends. Um, I also don't think the Raptors are going to be like a bad regular season team. I mean, like they only lost their fifth and sixth best player, yeah, or fourth yeah. and fifth. Like you know what I mean? Like it's not they like they're not going to drop seventeen games in the standings. They were stamped sixty win team last season. Like yeah, no, like we. We talked about it on our show. Like, they just have a ton of dudes that know how to win a regular season game. Like, just night in, night out. They will show up. Like, and Baines is a good basketball player. Like, he's no yeah. Gasol, right? Like, he's not going to be a guy that when their offense breaks down, you know, they throw it to him and they say, please help us, you know, with ten, five or seven seconds left on the shot clock. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, he's a reliable shooter, takes up space, is a decent drop big, not a great defender, but whatever. Good rebounder, good outlet passer, like, you know, good enough. Yeah. Like, if you, if you have to... You do a lot worse you, than veins. Listen, if you have to construct a, a discount bin, Mark Gasol, right? Like a dollar store Mark Gasol, right? you, would, you would probably, like, the machine would spit out air veins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you kind of hope Chris Boucher, I'm so happy. Listen, I'm kind of a Raptors fan too, so, like, I'm glad I can talk Raptors. Uh, you kind of hope that Chris Boucher kind of, you know, kind of steps up and fills that role next. But, I mean, they're going to be a really good team. Yeah. Um, the East is going to be, I think, probably, like, between, like, two and 
like six, it's going to be like a four or five game differential. Not that different from last season. Yeah, I could definitely see it. I think neither of us had the heat below four, I want to say. I think yeah. I had them three. Dave had them four. Yeah. Dave, we're scarred as he fans. We're, too, we're scarred. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> We I, know I, how this works. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was my thought process on this. It was just like I've never – like the post-LeBron Heat teams have never been like these amazing regular season teams, even when they are <coughs> like are able to turn it on in the playoffs. Like – I just so when they were the three seed that year in 2016, mm. that was like a four way tiebreaker that was yeah. incredibly complicated and came down to like you know who had the most Sagittarius's on their team or something. Like it was so weird the tiebreak that they won that they met. It could have they could have been six, but they were third. It's just like okay, we take it. Um, so yeah, I don't think we have that much, but to kind of end this on a good, like positive note, or actually two more things, um, but two positive notes. Um, what uh, do you want to see from Bam this year in terms of improvement, in terms of how he can make that sort of leap, that next leap? Or do you think he's going to kind of be at this current level for a bit and then we'll see a leap, you know, maybe in a year or two? I have said for a long time that I want Bam to do the Amari Stoudemire thing. I want Bam to face up 12 feet from the basket and look his defender in the eye and say, I'm so much stronger and faster than you, and then knock them over. <laughs> Not unlike what he did to Daniel Tice. Mm. Um, he's a beast. He's so quick. He's so good. He's so crafty. You saw in that Celtic series game six, he was he saw he looked at Daniel Tice and he's like, You're not fucking guarding me. I don't care who you are. Like, you're I'm gonna send your ass to the bench, and then they're gonna try one of the seven Williams that are there, and uh, none of them can guard me either. And then when the help comes from the corner, guess what? I can wrap around, pass off the dribble because I'm that good. So I want that. Like, I, I want I want that. Like, he needs to take a leap as a scorer. And I don't know if that's going to come early on. I don't know if it's going to be like Jason Tatum where somewhere in the middle of the season, like, everything clicks. He's going to be like Zach Galifianakis Zach in the hangover where all the numbers are in front of him. And he's going to, you know, achieve the matrix and, and achieve his true his, his final form. He's going to have a DBZ transformation into uh, whatever the Hall of Fame you know, Cyclops, he's going to be, uh, he has that kind of, position. he's that damn good. He's like that athletic of a freak, uh, on defense. I mean, I think that the, the progression is going to be steady. I think that, you know, he's already a defensive player of the year candidate. I think that if the heat defense is better, uh, and I, I, that's kind of a stupid thing to say, right? Like their defense was, I think 12 or something last year. Right. And that's obviously not going to get you in the, the deep way conversation, but like if their defense was like fourth or something, Right, he gets in the conversation. And that's just yeah. like your guards not being awful and pick and roll. It's just such a stupid way that we do awards, but that's like neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, and, but like, if they can improve the defense, you know, he'll probably like be in consideration for those awards. And on offense, it's just kind of take initiative as a scorer. Right? I think it's really cute when you do all that handoff stuff, and that's great for like the utilitarian offense and like this, you know, kumbaya. Everyone touches the ball, and we're moving and we're grooving, right? And it's great, and we love it, and it's awesome. Uh, but in the playoffs, as we've seen, you know, all of a sudden when teams decide, you know, we're switching that, and uh, you know, you can't do that anymore. Uh, and then you you gotta you gotta start soul searching for answers. And I think another thing that he can improve on is his post ups. He's like really bad post up player. And you know when you get you know if they're gonna switch that Tyler and Bam handoff, they're gonna switch that Duncan Bam handoff, and you get Norman Powell on you or whatever, and you're not posting that guy up, like that's an issue, right? Like you can't let like Powell guard you or like or, or you know like these smaller Celtic players, like you know you can't. 
You can't. Like, you got to punish that because you're hurting your teammates by not doing that. You're hurting your offense. And all of a sudden, you know, there's 11 seconds left on the shot clock. And then you got to reset your offense. And it's like, Goran, please save us. Jimmy, please save us. And like, you're not, you're not helping. So I think I want him to take more aggression in terms of kind of facing up and attacking the basket, kind of being that Amari Stoudemire, but with passing and also kind of like develop some sort of jump hook in the post so that you can bully, like, you know, that, the six six guy that they switch on you as like that's offensive. Hmm. That's the thing. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of that. Uh teams do that. But I mean they start switching those small guys onto you and it's gonna I think that uh he's he and he fans are gonna be for rude awakening how easy that blows up actions. Uh and partly why you know a lot of us were critical on the Bucks. You know, they would switch you know the George Hill Chris Middleton stuff where Jimmy's picking on poor George Hill. And then they wouldn't switch the BAM stuff, right? And it's like, I feel like that's bad scouting by your by your team, right? Like if you could if you could switch Chris Middleton onto BAM, I don't see BAM punishing him the way that he should, and you get away with a lot. Yeah. So yeah. I guess that's kind of what I'm looking for that improvement. Yeah. Uh quick note on how scarred I am as a Knicks fan. Uh when you <laughs> said you wanted BAM to do the Amari Stoudemire thing, mind when oh my god. <laughs> do you? <laughs> Now listen, Amari had like that two month period where he was MVP of the league in the, in New York. Oh yeah, and I will tell anyone who wants to listen to it about it at length. The Knicks looked so good with him for a little bit of time. And was that more fun. fun than Linsanity? What was more fun? I think that was because like that felt real for the entirety of it. <laughs> like Linsan, like Linsanity was out of nowhere, but you're sitting there thinking like, all right, like this. This falls apart at some point, right? Whereas, like, when you have Amari Stoudemire playing like a league MVP, it's like, all right, yeah, no, this is what he should be doing. Like, we got one. This shocker. <laughs> yeah, Did exactly. You, we got one. Do you remember what game ended Linsanity? It was Melo coming back. No, they came to play at the AAA. They were coming on their win streak. They came into Miami. <laughs> I was at that game. That's like the game I always say I was at. I was so excited. <laughs> That's when Norris Cole and Mario Chalmers took personal offense to Jeremy Lin breathing. And uh, Norris Cole almost died trying to dunk. And he did dunk, but then he, David, you remember, he fell on his back. Yeah. I was at the arena like, someone check on Norris. Oh, God. Yeah, they. I think they had just, was it after they had just beaten the Lakers? I don't remember. I remember that was like the big game that season. And it's like, oh, Linsanity's coming into Miami. And then uh, that game was sneaky close, by the way, even though Lin was awful. Melo was like really good that game. Uh, but yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't want to torment you as a Nick fan. I just, no, that's okay. That's, all, that's like one of my favorite moments, like of like weird heat lore. At this point, like being tormented as a Knicks fan is just like what being a Knicks fan is. Mm. Like, I know what I'm getting. I know what I'm in at this point. I'm not gonna say I know what I'm getting into because like I got into it, but I know where the Knicks are. Are you are you ready for Twilight James Harden being a Nick? Because that's like that's gonna happen. Right, like James Harden on that next max deal. At some point, you're you're doing that because you know it's true. Like he's born to be right. a Nick. He's born. <laughs> it's right. gonna happen. <laughs> like with three years left on that next deal, like they're gonna trade for him, and it's gonna he's gonna have like one All Star season, and then it's all gonna go downhill. Because you know it's that's that's. I'm surprised it hasn't happened with Westbrook yet. I'm not gonna lie. I really thought he was gonna get traded to the Knicks, and like oh, I, the worst part is that part of me was like. Yeah, fuck it. Let's do it. Like, oh, that would have been great for you guys. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That would have been so fun. The garden would have been great. Yeah. Not now because of COVID, but like, you know, it would have been. No, yeah. Like, Russ is a 
he's a garden player. Like I, I do think some of that gets overblown in terms of like the whole world's most famous arena, but like when it's going and when the garden is actually rocking, it's special. And like Russ okay, is but it, it's like Loki a dump though. Like it's Loki a dump. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, here in Miami, we have the orange bowl, which was a dump. It smelled like yeah. urine. It was awful. It was like, you could see the plywood breaking on the stands and you're just like, is this safe? No, but that's, that's ours. That was our yeah. dump. It's like, our that, dump. That's, that's my that's my urine smelling dump. You know the <laughs> memories I had in there. <laughs> Seventy two dolphins one there. Yeah. <laughs> that Brooklyn Arena is nice. That one's a nice one. Oh yeah, the Hard Rock. No, the the Brooklyn Arena. The, oh, the Brooklyn. Barclay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that. Oh, I, I have the biggest love hate relationship with Hard Rock. Oh, really? Tell us. Yeah, it's like, it's just it's. They tried to do like every event there, and it's like like they're doing the tennis tournament there now. They moved the tennis tournament from the beach in Key Biscayne, the Miami Open, to the damn Hard Rock. And okay, fine, they saved tennis in Miami. Cool, that venue sucks. I like drinking champagne on the beach and watching tennis. Okay, like my one thing of the year was in March. I'm gonna get drunk, take the day off of work, and watch Roger Federer on the beach. That's got that. That got taken away from me. <laughs> From like a watching perspective, like if it's built to watch a football field, that can't be built to hold tennis. Oh, yeah. No. So they put the tennis arena down there. They kind of fill with like seats. It's a really – and they close sections. So like they just tarp off with like, you know, decorative ba- – I don't like it. And then yeah. I think the lighting's weird. I think on television it works fine. But like I think at the end of the day, like they always try to make stuff work for television. Yeah. Uh, as an in-stadium experience, I didn't like it. I like the campus though. Like the other courts are fine, right? Because like that's not you know the big thing, but like the grandstand and then the the main the the the, the main it's just not. I saw Federer play. Who did he play? Uh, Isner or some big American? Oh no, uh, the, the, the no, that wasn't Ender. It was uh, the the Denis uh, Shapovalov, the okay. Canadian player. Yeah. Uh, just a weird experience. I mean, I still got drunk on champagne and I watched Federer and I took the day off to work. But it was weird. a great day. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, it was fun. It's March in Miami. It's it's like 70 yeah. degrees and you know you're having fun. But yeah, it was go wrong. Not, I, I very much enjoyed this tangent. I've, I've been wanting to get off, off my chest for a while. <laughs> They'd yell at me on my podcast for that. Hey, I'm glad we uh I'm glad you got the opportunity. <laughs> uh Dave, did you have anything more here? Um yeah, I think um, the last thing was just a, a, another like wholesome thing to end it on positive note. Um, you know, obviously for Heat fans, this last bubble run was you know so special. Um, definitely, especially in this year where I was just in my apartment for the entirety of the NBA playoffs, pretty much like having this to root forward, look forward to every night, um, and you know, growing with this team was like really amazing so just curious what is when you think about this bubble run this finals run what is your standout memory that you think you'll always like look back to as like this is something like i saw i have two Mm -hmm. the first one was jimmy butler going at Giannis, hitting the floater over him then yelling out into space he can't fucking guard (laughs) And if that's not the most badass thing you've ever seen, that Jimmy Butler from the depths of hell improbably ends up in the situation where he just obliterated the league MVP and defensive player of the year 
and was confident enough as a four seed to yell, he can't fucking guard me. Lifer. And then after the game, points at Pat Riley in the mm. stands, and then Pat does a little like shimmy and then points back. <laughs> it's like out of a movie. Like, you can't write that. That's so cool. I'll never forget that. Um, and then obviously the other is Jimmy versus LeBron, top mm. of the key, goes to the basket, gets fouled, and then kind of rests his arms and his face yeah. leaning over on the on the the kind of those ad boards or whatever. And then Duncan coming over to like give him like the snapshot picture of I watched Dwayne Wade in 2006. Right. Like I, I, I watched in a formative year I was in middle school. I was watching, you know, I was falling in love with sports, you know, watching Dwayne Wade do something that I thought was just impossible. Like what he did was incredible. I watched LeBron James at his peak. Uh, I saw that game six comeback against the Spurs. I saw that game seven. Um, I've watched a lot of incredible basketball in town. What Jimmy did was in that pantheon, if not higher. And that snapshot of him carrying everything to the point of just total fucking exhaustion that I felt tired watching him and that he just went toe to toe with the greatest player who ever lived and won. Come on. Yeah. Come on. How do you beat that? Yeah. How do you beat that? Just, it's incredible. It was incredible. What a fun team. What a great guy. Like, I'm just so happy he's here. I'm so excited for this season. Uh, listen, we watched a lot of Dion Waiters and James Johnson to get to this point. We deserve this. Yeah, I was, I, I was definitely one of those people guilty of uh, uh, really thinking Dion had a place on the team oh, after that uh, the thirty-one and eleven. And I actually 30, think that 11. James thirty and eleven. Yeah, I, I actually think James Johnson still. <laughs> has a good place in this league. I don't, I just feel like he hasn't been used well since he's left Miami. Um, I was drinking the Kool-Aid harder that season. Like when they, when they had justice and James Johnson, like guarding LeBron effectively and Hassan swatting Kyrie at the rim. I was at that game and I remembered, I wrote a column and I was like, it, it was like, a, it was a very self-indulgent Twitter column about being team petty and like how how this win really validated a lot of feelings or this like ultimate validator right and how that game didn't feel like a statement it felt like a fucking threat it was like hey we're here we're good we're coming i uh, i think that was the, the year that they lost to the raptors uh in seven and like the weirdest series i've ever seen in my life but like that team if they don't have injuries that's a legit like great team yep um you know Fun times. And I think Heat fans would like like I mean I've I've thought about this before. I feel like this team this past season was definitely like sort of like the last four or five years in the making. Like you saw hints of it. Like you when you talked about Ellington, like the things that Spo came up with for Ellington that are now being utilized so like even better with Robinson. Or um, just this sort of like like the kumbaya, everyone shares the ball system that has been slowly developed over these last post-LeBron years. And then finally, I think we had no horrible injuries and the personnel fit the best it has. 
Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people think this last year's Heat team like kind of like came out of nowhere, but they were kind of running the same stuff they've been running. They just had like the perfect players for that system now, I think. Yeah, like they, and, and I, I actually been wanting to ask Bo about that, but it was kind of tough with the bubble and everything. Like their handoff usage, right? They were the, the most used handoff team in the league last year. And I think the year before that, and like their handoffs have very like steadily increase every season despite their pace kind of remaining the same and uh you know i, I kind of wanted to ask eric if like was this just in direct correlation to bam and kelly uh or is this just how you want to coach from now on and i think it probably is a little bit of both right because like you know he's always kind of and, and i think Dwayne is a part of that too because Dwayne's just an elite pick and roll player right he's like really crafty can kind of weave in and out of, of, of situations split that pick and roll uh, and that requires a dive man. So that's Hassan. That's, you know, even Chris Bosch, pick and pop or whatever. You know, now they really run different stuff. And I think part of it is to maximize guys that just can't create space on their own, right? Like, you know, when you do a handoff, you're kind of, it's a really interesting kind of play because you, you're, you're manufacturing space that didn't exist. And you're also self-containing it. Uh, you defend it like a pick and roll, but because of the way you're moving it, because of the action and how set it is, it's just different, right? So I think part of that was him maximizing you know, the fact that he didn't have an elite bulk handler and creator. And I think, you know, Bam just becoming this elite passing big man just opened stuff up. So when he got a creator like Jimmy Butler and they can do handoffs with Bam and Jimmy, and they can also go north-south with that pick and roll stuff and with Goron, uh, I think you see like the versatility there. But it's it's been really, I, I love, I 100% agree with you. It's kind of this really steady buildup uh, of maximizing these guys that just maybe, you know, didn't have that much in the tank and then kind of turning into this, which has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think we have anything else. Um, get it. You have anything else, Tom? No, I got nothing else. Uh, thanks for coming on though, man. I really appreciate Dude. it. Uh, before we get out of here, you want to plug your stuff where we can uh, find your work? Yes, please. Okay. So if you want to hear more of me and my annoying voice, you can follow me at G N A V A S one Oh three on Twitter. Uh, maybe he beat the big thing at MI Heapy. Uh, find us on I on Apple Music, Spotify, all that good stuff. We're also on YouTube. We put the pods on YouTube with video, you know, you can see it's all recorded. Uh, the big thing that we're pushing now is our live stream. So we're live streaming every podcast and we have a post game show every game that's on twitch.tv slash MI Heapy. Uh, we're planning a bunch of fun stuff. We're gonna launch our Patreon soon, or hopefully, launching our emotes next week. Um, you know, we brought back key Twitter president Alf. So he fans might know on Twitter who, who Alf is. We're really happy to have him back. Uh, part of PP hosting the post game shows and along with me and the podcast. Um, so please check out the Twitch page, check out us on Instagram and all that stuff, all, all the same at all the same platform. So, uh, and get under the tent on what we do. We try to have fun. We try to be analytical. We have a lot of different voices and contributors, and, uh, we hope that you guys can enjoy our content this season. All right. Great. Go check them out. Thanks so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Yeah, thanks so much.